want you to turn to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 4. We're going to read verses 32 and 33. Leviticus 4, 32 and 33. If he brings a lamb as his sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Then he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it as a sin offering at the place where they kill the burnt offering. Father, thank you for your word today. And I thank you for your anointing upon me to minister the word in a way, God, that is understandable. And Lord, anointed and full of your power in Jesus' name. And we thank you for it. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. What we're going to learn today is a theological truth that most Christians still have never gotten a grasp on, even though they may be saved for many years. Now, this message today is going to be so simple, but it'll change your life if you get this theological truth that so many of us have missed. It will provide, if you'll understand this truth, it will provide stress relief that no medication can provide. It will give to you a peace of mind that no therapy or trip to the psychiatrist can help with. If you'll understand this truth today, it will, it will give you a renewed love for God like you've never had. And Brother Mike, it'll help you understand grace like you never understood it. And another thing it'll do, it will tie the Old and the New Testaments together in a way that will help you finally make some sense out of it. So today, I want to give you four parts of this message. First of all, I want us to talk about the Old Testament process. Can you say that? The Old Testament process. I want you to turn me to, to, to look again there in, Luke, uh, in Leviticus chapter 4, 32 to 33. Let's read it again. If he brings a lamb as his sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Then he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it as a sin offering at the place where they kill the burnt offering. And then I want you to turn me to the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter 10. And let's look at what the Old Testament process was. Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 1 through 4. When we get the foundation laid, all this will begin to make sense, okay? Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come. Say, the law was a shadow. Say that. Of good things to come. And not the very image of the things. Can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. And then look at verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. You see, under the old covenant, the sinner had to bring a lamb without spot or blemish. It couldn't have a broken leg. It couldn't have a sore on it. It had to be perfect. Without spot, without blemish. The sinner had to bring this spotless, perfect 
lamb before the high priest as a sin offering. And the sinner was to lay his hands on the head of that lamb. And in the eyes of God, when the sinner under the old covenant laid his hands on the head of that lamb, God counted it that the sin of the person who brought the lamb was transferred through his hand onto that innocent lamb. In doing so, the sinner's sin was transferred over to the innocent lamb. The lamb then was killed. And because the lamb was killed, that sinner's sin was covered, but not removed. The word atonement means covering. The sinner's sin was covered, not removed. The spotless, perfect lamb was identifying with the sinner, and the sinner was identifying with the spotless, perfect Lamb. Now, now, now keep, keep in mind this, the, the great exchange here. Here's what happened. When the sinner lay, and I'm going to be a little redundant and slow here this morning, okay? So bear with me. I want to make sure we get this. When the sinner laid his hand on the head of the lamb, the sinner's sin was transferred to the lamb. So we could say they were trading identities because the innocence of the lamb was transferred back to the sinner because he was forgiven or his sins were covered. We could say they were exchanging places. We could say that there was an exchange. But there was a problem with the Old Testament process. You see, if you, if you understand the Old Testament process versus the New Testament process, you know that the high priest had to go in daily and minister and minister over and over daily. And once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies where only, where only the high priest could go. And he would offer sin and put it on the mercy seat so that the people's sin could be covered for another year. But like people today, they outsend their coverage. Okay, And every year it had to be done over and over and over again. The sin was not removed, it was just covered. Because see, the Old Covenant, what they did in the Old Covenant, in the tabernacle, by the high priest, by the lamb, by the blood, by the sinner laying his hand on the head, was all a type. It was a shadow. It was a, it was a type and a shadow of the real in heaven that God said was to come. Everybody still with me on that? Now, it was a process that was imperfect because the person's sin was not completely taken away. The person's sin was only covered. So let's move from the Old Testament process and let's look, number two, at the New Testament provision. The New Testament provision. Turn with me to Hebrews 9. Let's look at the difference between what happened in the old of the old covenant and the new covenant. Hebrews nine eleven to sixteen. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, oh listen folks, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place once for all. Hallelujah. Can somebody say hallelujah? Once for all, having obtained, having obtained, past tense, 
eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the puring of the flesh, how much more... Ooh, come on, somebody. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also be the necessity of the death of the testator. And I'm going to tell you something. God, Jesus was so interested in us getting what He provided for us. It's the only place I know where the person died that left the testament, came back to life to make sure everybody got what they want, what they want them to have. Amen. <laughs> the death of the testator made the will binding, and then he came back to, to give us the Spirit as an, as an eternal down payment on what's to come. Now, look with me in chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But this man, who is he? Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, hallelujah, sat down at the right hand of God. Honey, when you sit down, that means you're through. Amen? He sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies be made his footstool. Oh, listen to this. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Hallelujah. Did you, read, did you hear that? For by one offering He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And then I want you to look at one more Scripture with me in the New Testament. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. Verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, let's read this out loud together. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's read that again. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Didn't say who covers it up, but who takes it away. Is there anybody here glad that your sin has been taken away? Can you say amen? Now under the new covenant... God sent His... Now, folks, remember, we're going simple and slow here, but we're about to blow your socks off here in a minute, okay? If you got any on. If you don't, borrow one of your neighbors. Okay? Listen. Under the New Covenant, God sent His spotless, perfect, sinless Son as the Lamb of God who would not cover up sinners' sins, but who would do what? Take them away and remove them as though they never were. Folks, we don't really believe that, do we? Amen. He removed our sins as far as the east is from the west as though they never were. Now, we get, we're fixing to take one step up on some shouting ground, y'all. If you'll turn to me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter five. 
verse 21. Oh, listen, would you please hear this today as though you've never heard this Scripture before? You know, we come in here and we hear Scripture and we say, oh, I've got that underlined, that's highlighted. I even got my commentary out beside it. I know what that means. I would, I would tell some of us the best thing we could do to enrich our Bible study is to put that Bible that we've got that we've marked through so much we can't even read the words, put it in a drawer somewhere and go get you another one just like it and read it as though you've never... You might be surprised what God's got to say that you didn't underline. Amen. <laughs> huh? All right. Now listen. Second Corinthians 5.21 for he may is this is this is this the authoritative word of God breathed by the Holy Ghost? Is it true? All right, listen to this. Is it true whether you believe it or not? Somebody said, "Well, no. God said it. I believe it, and that settles." It. I got news for you. God said it, and that settles it, whether you believe it or not. <laughs> and we're fixing to read something that most of us don't believe. We believe half of it. I'm going to challenge you here this morning. Second Corinthians five twenty one. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. How many of us know every Christian believes that? Every Christian. Every Christian, every denomination, if they're washed in the blood, they believe that Jesus became sin. Not a sinner, but He became sin for us on the cross. We believe the first half of that verse, but we don't believe the last half of it. Now, if the first half is true, the last half is. What is the last half? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Hallelujah. You ask your average Christian, are you the righteousness of God? No, I just don't even know if I'm saved half the time. Well, I hope so. I'm trying. I'm coming up on the rough side of the mountain just trying my best to make it in. How many of y'all heard that? He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might, who knew no righteousness, be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Now this Scripture right here encapsulates the great exchange in one sentence. Unlike the symbolic exchange, remember when the sinner brought the lamb to the high priest, laid his hands on his head, that was all symbolic. That lamb didn't, that lamb couldn't forgive a sin. It was an animal. But God reckoned and accounted by faith. See, the people in the old, I know what I'm about to say. The people in the old covenant got saved by the blood of Jesus just like people in the new covenant. Here's the cross. Here's the old covenant. Here's the cross, the Calvary. Here's the new covenant, us. Guess what? The difference between... See, it's not bulls. The Bible says it's not the blood of bulls and rams and goats that can save you. It's the, only the blood of Jesus. So how did people in the old covenant get saved if Jesus hadn't come? Let me ask you this. How many of you are saved this morning? How many of you trusted in Jesus? Did you get a certificate from heaven saying that you had been accepted? How do you how do you know you're saved? By the word of God and your what in the word, your faith in the word. So see, come up here, cross, be, be Calvary, stand like that. 
Alright? Here we are over here in 2013. And if you get saved this morning, you know what you're going to do? If you're not saved this morning, today's going to be a great day to get saved. Uh, you're going to put your faith looking back to what Jesus did for you. By faith. Well, the old covenant believers, they did the same thing we do, but they, they come up the other side of the mountain. They had faith in the sacrifice that was to come. They put their trust in the Lamb of God that was to come. By faith. He hadn't come yet. They hadn't seen Him. Have any of you seen Him? No. We believe by faith. But it's by faith that you're saved, whether you're in the Old Covenant or the New Covenant. Thank you, Cross. But see, when all these bulls and goats and lambs were brought, it was only a shadow and a type pointing to what God was really looking for all along. That He knew that the, slam, the lamb slain... Now listen, listen. your sin didn't catch God by surprise. The Bible says that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Or before the brick of the first brick in the foundation of the universe was ever laid. Jesus was already in the mind of God die, dying and, and the lamb for your sins before you ever were born. But you see, the Old Covenant is a shadow and a type of what Jesus did. That sinless, spotless Lamb represented who? The Lamb of God that was spotless and sinless. Unlike the symbolic exchange in the Old Testament, the New Testament was the real, authentic exchange. When Jesus died on the cross, listen folks, He provided an actual, literal exchange. It's what we call the great exchange. Jesus was made to be sin, and we were made righteous. So I told you you didn't believe it, or you'd be crowing like a rooster standing on the back of the pew right now. If Jesus was made sin, and that's the reality, then I was made righteous. Now listen to me. Jesus became what we were that we might become what He is. Just like that lamb and that sinner exchanged identities on the cross, on the cross, Jesus and me swapped positions. There was a great exchange. When God looked at Jesus, He didn't see Jesus. He saw me. And when He sees me now, he don't see old Manning. He don't see old Mike. He don't see old Greg. He don't see Miss Bonnie. He sees Jesus because there's been a great exchange. We have exchanged identities. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ and no more is it me that lives, but Christ that lives in me. It would change our lives if we could understand the truth, the theological truth that happened at the great exchange. Now listen to me. Listen to me. This is going. This is going. This is going. This is going to. This is going to light your fire. Do we really believe that Jesus became sin for us? Well, let me ask you something. Did Jesus commit sin? No. Did Jesus do anything to become sin? No. So what did Jesus do? He received our sin. 
Oh, do you know where we're going with this? Let me ask you something. Did we do anything to become righteous? Did we commit righteousness? What did we do? We, re- we received righteousness. Just like He didn't sin or do anything to, get to, to become sin, we don't do anything, can't work for it to become righteous. He received our sin as a will of the Father. It pleased Him to abruise Him and smitten Him. We receive righteousness as the will of the, of the Father because God's pleased to pour on Him the iniquity of us all that we might go free and Jesus pay our death, death debt. I guess you could say today, He was our whipping boy. He got the whipping that we deserved. If Jesus didn't do anything to become sin and didn't do any work to become sin, this will set you free. We can't do any work to become righteous. We can't commit enough good works to become righteous because it's, it, it has been imputed to us. We receive righteousness by faith. Just like Jesus received our sin and didn't deserve it, we receive righteousness and don't deserve it. He became what we were that we might be as He is. So that's the Old Testament process and the New Testament provision, the real Lamb, which was the shadow, or the real Lamb, which was, was, was really that that was typified and shadowed by the Old Covenant. But thirdly, I want us to not only look at the Old Testament process and the New Testament provision, this morning I want us to look at God's perception. God's perception. It's how God sees it. Wouldn't most of us be better off today if we could start looking through God's eyes rather than through our own? Repent. 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 Heard this one time. Sounded good, so I'll steal it. What is the penthouse? Where is the penthouse in 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 a building? It's on the top. It's where you can get... The utmost view. Okay? If we repent, it means we see from God's perspective. Some of us just need to get out of the basement and go to the penthouse. Amen? And we see that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. We believe that Jesus became sin, but some of us have a hard time believing that we are just as righteous as He was sin. But it's all a hoax if it's not true. Because if it's not true, if there wasn't a great exchange, somehow you and I are going to have to work our way in uh, 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 through, through, through works of righteousness. And how many of you know, we done blown that. I don't know about y'all, but I done messed that, I done messed that plan up. God's perception. You say, but Pastor Manning, I don't know. Yes, I I really believe somewhere deep down in my being, I really believe that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I really do. I really believe that. But you know, Pastor, I don't always live like I'm righteous. Anybody else in that club? Now, how in the world can God see me or perceive me as righteous even when I sin and fail. Yes, that thing you did this week. 
that you said you'd never do. That thought that you thunk. That you said you'd never think. I'm going to use three people this morning as an illustration. And I need some folks with some stamina because you're going to be up here with me till the end of the message. I need you. Yeah. Alright. Okay, I need a, I need, I need a, I need a, where is a, there she is, I need you. Alright. Let's see, who's got some stamina? Come on up here, Chris. Now, an illustration you're never going to forget. Now, I chose you because you're young, because you're going to have to get down on all fours. Can you do that? Right here. Just get down on all fours. That's good. Right, right, yeah, just like that. Now, if you need to squat back every once in a while, we're going to be here a little while, so you just, okay. Now, here I want Chris to stand right here. And Andre, I want you to stand right there. Now, you're going to be the lamb. All right? Can you say bad? Bad. Okay. Chris, you're going to play this part by faith. You're going to be the high priest. We're not through. <laughs> You're beautiful. <laughs> See that anointing right there, doesn't it? Okay. All right. Just stay there. I believe it's just going to fit perfect. Now, guess who you are? You're the sinner. All right. Everybody with me? Now, how, Pastor Manning, when I live unrighteously and I do unrighteous things, how can God see me as righteous? You see, when someone brought his sin offering or his lamb to the priest, this being the sinner who brought her lamb to the priest, answer this. Who did the priest examine for blemishes and imperfections? Was it the lamb or the sinner? Y'all know where we're going. He examined the Lamb. The Bible said the Lamb was to be without spot, blemish, or any such thing. 
not the sinner. That's why the sinner's bringing the lamb. Oh, I'm so bad, Jesus would never die for me. Duh! That's the reason He came. Because we couldn't do it in ourselves. Now listen to me. He examined the offering, not... Examine the offering now, brother. He don't examine the sinner. He's examining the offering. Now, the lamb had to be perfect, not the person who brought the lamb. Do you get that? Jesus, can you say Jesus? Jesus is our lamb without spot or blemish. Listen, everybody please listen. The Heavenly Father accepts us not based upon our perfection. Can you hear me? but based upon Jesus' perfection. Since Jesus died on the cross, God does, woo, God does not examine me to determine if I'm forgiven and accepted. He examines Jesus, the spotless, sinless Lamb, without blemish. And come on, give the Lord praise. And, and when you receive Jesus as your Savior, God no longer looks at Looks, sees your sin to determine whether He's going to accept you or forgive you. He only sees the sacrifice for your sin. Did you hear that? When God looks at you to see if He's going to accept you and forgive you, He doesn't look at you. He looks at the sacrifice. He's examining the sacrifice. Now, what happened theologically at the Great Exchange? I know theologically is a word that scares some of us, cause, but, but as, theologically, what happened at the Great Exchange? That requires us to do something real scary, and that's look at two theological words. The first one is the word impute. Can you say impute? The second one, be careful if you've got false teeth, it is propitiation. All right, now, the word impute means or relates to what was done for us. The word impute relates to what was done for us. The word propitiation refers to what was done to Jesus. Impute means that we received righteousness. Propitiation means our sin was put on Him. Now, Look, impute. Let's look at impute. Impute means to put in one's account. If I took a million dollars and put it in, brother, y'all know that ain't gonna happen. But if I if I put uh, fifty dollars, if I put by faith, by faith, if I put fifty dollars in in Mike's bank account, I have imputed fifty bucks into his account. Now look with me at Romans chapter four. Y'all doing no good over there? Okay, all right. Romans 4, 4 to 8. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, can you say amen, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes, there it is, righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And then look over at verse 22 to 25 in that same chapter. Romans 4, 22 to 25. Therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed. There it is to him. But also for us. But also for us. Can you say also for me? Elbow your neighbor and say also for you. Even you. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Him, who raised up Jesus Christ the Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised for our justification. The word impute means to put in one's account. Now, what about the word propitiation? Propitiation means... This is good. Propitiation means... And this is what happened to Jesus. Imputes what happened to us. Propitiation is what happened to Him. Propitiation means this. The atoning victim... Get ready. Propitiation means whew, I got holy. I wish y'all could see my legs. I got holy ghost bumps running all over one, all over the place. Propitiation. Propitiation means the atoning, the atoning lid of the mercy seat. That's where the priest applied the blood from the spotless, sinless lamb. The mercy seat. Propitiation. First John. Look there. First John. She's doing good. The lamb's doing good up here. First John. First John two two. Not the gospel of John, but the epistle. First, second, third John. First John. Two, two. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the whole world. And then look in 1 John 4.10. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. So you understand the difference in impute? Impute is to put into one's account. God put into our account Jesus' righteousness. We had an empty bank account, and now we're rich because a righteousness was imputed to us. Jesus received and was the propitiation. He was the ark lid. He was the mercy seat. He was the, he was the atoning victim where the blood was applied. Now, what does imputation and propitiation look like? Since we, most of us aren't Jewish and we've never, we've, we're not a high priest and we've never seen what happens in the, in the, in, behind the Holy of Holies because see, only the priest could go in there once a year. Nobody else could go in there because he would die, right? Remember that? Okay? So we don't know what happened. We need a picture to show us what happens when imputation and propitiation takes place. I'll show you what happens. Here's exactly what happens. Here's exactly what happened. He became what we are, what we were, that we might be as He is. Here's the propitiation. Here's the imputed righteousness. And now when the Father sees me, He doesn't see this. He sees this. Can we give Jesus a hand clap praise?
Now you just stay there, man. So we've looked at the Old Testament process, the New Testament provision, and God's perception. And I want them to stay here, so I want you to get a picture of this. Listen, this is Jesus. He received your sin. He received your beating. He received your death sentence. This is you. Amen? Amen. Let's look finally, not only at the Old Testament process and the New Testament provision but, and God's perception, but finally let's look at forgiveness's permanence. Forgiveness's permanence. Forgiveness's permanence. Look at me at Hebrews 9 again. Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. We're talking about the permanence of our forgiveness. Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is not the creation of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but listen, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And then look over at chapter 10, verse 11 to 14. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, forever sat down at the right hand of God. And from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now listen to this. In the Old Covenant, I'm going to be redundant here a minute. In the Old Covenant, the Lamb sacrificed only covered sins, and it had to be offered daily. In the New Covenant, Jesus, the Lamb of God, took away, cleansed, and removed our sin once and for all. That was the great exchange. Okay? You and Jesus traded places. He became sin for you so that you could be righteous. And when you sin, Jesus does not have to be slain again. Get that. Most Christians miss this theological truth and they live their life doubting their salvation, wondering if they're going to really make it in when it's all over. Listen, when you sin, Jesus does not have to be slain again. He is perfected by one offering those who are being sanctified. His blood removed your sin forever. Past, present, and future. We have this, we have this era in the church being taught today would you be the cross one more time for me? He's an old rugged cross. Oh, that was low. We have this errant teaching in the church today that says, okay, July 3rd, 1966, at Beaver Hills Baptist Church, Manning Strickland received Jesus. All of his sin were taken care of from the time he was born in 1955 to 1966. He's ten and a half years old and the cross took care of his sin from the time he was born to the time he accepted Jesus. Now, everybody believes that, don't they? All right, let's make it a little more interesting. But now, it's 2013. Old Manning's 57 years old and there's been a lot of sin went under the bridge and over the dam. And you know what the church teaches us today? That now, if I'm going to be forgiven, I have got to, to, uh, to confess. I've got to confess. I've got to repent. I've got to go to church. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to tell God how sorry I am. Because, see, here's what we teach people subconsciously. 
The cross took care of my past sins, but I've got to take care of my future sins through confessing. All right? Now, there's just a problem with that. A lot of us sin and don't know it's sin. That don't take but one sin to send a man to hell, does it? So what if you ain't all fessed up? What if there's one you forget? Can you imagine? Can you see why people live with insecurity? All right? Now, here's the truth. Yeah, but pastor, what about my future sin? Right here when Jesus died for me and I died in Him, how many of my sins were future? I said, how many of my sins were future? All of them. We tell people, Jesus died for all your sins. And you ask your average Christian, do you believe Jesus died for your past, present, and future? Yes, I do. But they don't believe it. Because they believe they've got to be baptized, join the church, they've got to confess, they've got to tell God how sorry they are. Confession. Confession isn't to get cleansed. The blood of Jesus continually cleanses us if we're... Confession is for our benefit to restore joy and fellowship and assurance. Now, some of y'all are looking at me like a calf staring at a new gate, and it's because you don't know that at the cross you were made righteous. Thank you, cross. Now, just as Jesus did nothing to become sin, you and I can do nothing to be made righteous. Not say a prayer. Not be water baptized. Not join the church. Not partake of the sacraments. See, in the Catholic Church, they don't call it they call it sacraments, which means that to the Catholics, every time they come for mass, they believe in transubstantiation. They believe that the that the that the bread actually becomes the body of Jesus, and that the wine that they don't use Welch's actually becomes the blood of Jesus. Do you know what they're doing every time they offer Mass? They're crucifying Jesus afresh. The Bible says He offered one time, one offering, and forever perfected those who are sanctified. He received our sins and we received His righteousness. How do we receive righteousness? By faith, by grace. Not of works lest any man should boast, but by grace are you saved through faith. What I'm saying this morning in this little simple illustrated message is that God is not examining you to determine if He's going to forgive you or accept you or not. He's already examined your sacrifice. He's already examined Jesus. You are already forever accepted. If you don't believe that, look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6. Ephesians 1, 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. I don't know about y'all, but made is a past tense word. He made me accepted. When Jesus died, and I believed by faith, not by works, not by doing right, not by doing good, not by being moral, but when I believed by faith that Jesus was the substitutionary propitiation for my sin, righteousness was imputed to me. And I became just as righteous in that moment as Jesus became sin. 
Now, I know that goes against our religiosity and our theologically preconceived notions that we've got to do something to, to, to please God and stay on God's good side. Listen, I'm on God's good side because when He sees me, He sees this. He sees, the, he, see, he sees me righteous. He don't look to me and determine anymore whether He's going to accept me or not. Now, now how many of you know, He will chasten and whip the fanny of righteous people. But I'm talking about, am I saved? Am I, am I accepted before Him forever and ever and ever? Yes. Yes. You're already forever accepted. Now, do you see now? Do you see now why this theological understanding will give you peace of mind like you've never had? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I'd have to raise mine. I went through a period of time in my life when I was so unsure of my, of my salvation. Because, see, I based, my, I based my acceptance before God on my behavior. But, see, it's not by my doing. It's by His dying. And these people that say, well, I got saved back yonder and I can live any way I want to. They do. They, listen, they need to get saved. If you think you can, if you can live any way you want to and the Holy Ghost don't eat your lunch, you are not saved. Can I just tell you that? If you can go out and say, well, I signed a card and I got dipped back yonder in 1941. And, you know, I just, I just live any way I want to. Now, you do not know the grace of God. If you understand the grace of God, you will not want to break God's heart. What do we sing about this morning? The goodness of God leads me to repentance. If you're here this morning, you think just because you signed a card and you had an emotional experience, but you did not by faith believe that Jesus was your substitute and receive Him, we're going to give you an opportunity to get that all straight this morning. Because if you are out go out of here today and you call yourself a Christian and you can violate and offend the heart of a holy God and sin against Him and you're not convicted, you're not saved. I know that's strong. A lot of folks, we think, well, you know, they backslid. No, they never did front slide. <laughs> you can't, you can't, they need to repent. No, they just need to repent. They ain't repented the first time. They need to repent. Do you understand why understanding this theological truth that there's been a great exchange will provide stress relief? Even on your bad days? Have you ever thought this? Oh, Lord, I'd have slammed the door on my thumb and cursed. I hope the rapture don't take place. <laughs> what about them other times you cursed and you forgot about it? What about that attitude? Oh, don't we look at the homosexual and the drug addict and the perverts? Oh, they're a sinner. What about our judgmental attitude? That stinks in the sight of God. But we don't think about repenting that because we think that's holy. I'm just righteous. God, you know, I'm the, I'm the Holy Ghost. I'm the Holy Ghost Barney Five. God's appointed me to judge. And that pride in the house of God stinks in the nostrils of God. Let me just insert this. Y'all all right? I'm about sick and tired. You all right there, Lammy Pie? Oh, we don't have to kill you, so you just be careful there. I am just about sick and tired of the church pointing its judgmental finger at sinners that are doing what sinners do. 
we're trying to get the plywood, I mean, the, the speck of sawdust out of, our, out of the sinner's eye, and we've got plywood in our own eyes. There's stuff going on in the house of God in churches around here that if I told you, you your wig would blow off. And some of the most judgmental, hateful people are those who look down their old bony, bony, long, judgmental finger at the prostitute, the homosexual, the drunk, the liar, the thief, and how terrible they are. But we wouldn't want our thoughts to be thrown up here on the little magic string for everybody to see what we've been thinking and saying and doing all week, would we? Aren't we quick? I don't know. I don't know how else to interpret this when it says judgment begins in the house of God, and if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and repent. I'll heal the land. God's not, listen, God's not going to heal the land when Obama's gone and when, the, when, when they let us have our guns and, 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 and when they quit killing babies. Revival's going to come to the land when the church repents. When stuff that we just keep letting go and letting go, we say, God, it's us. The salt's lost its savor, and we're wondering why the world's spoiling. We tell the sinners, we've got meat you know not of, and they see us eating out of the same garbage cans they eat out of, and they say, you're a hypocrite. You say, well, Pastor, what in the world does that have to do with what you just preached? Everything. I guarantee you, if you're out in the yard working, and you're planting flowers, and it's 4.30, and you've got mud on your knees, and you've got those shoes that feel so good, but there ain't no toe in them. And you've got sweat streaks coming down your little black beads all over you. I mean, you're just filthy nasty. And you remember, it's 4.30, 5.30. Bonnie and Greg are coming over to the house to eat. Oh, God, I don't even have the hamburger. I've got to run down the food line, and here I go. Toes out of my shoes, little sweat beads running. I'm nasty, stinking, fingernails dirty. Guess what? I'm going to go in food line, and I ain't going to be long. Because I don't want to see nobody that knows me. I'm going to run back out of the hamburger, and I'm going to look down every aisle to see if I see Debbie and Grover and Martha. Or anybody not, and I'm going to hurry on out of that with them groceries. And say, thank God nobody saw me. There was nobody here that saw me. Now I can get on home and prepare. But now when I leave today, and you leave today because you're just like I am, and you got your little red sweater on, your little square-toed shoes, and every hair's in place, <laughs> and you think, oh, we got, I didn't get those pork chops for supper tonight. You know what you do when you go in food line? You forget about the pork shop. You just look for people you know so they can see you. Well, hey there. Hey there, David. How you doing? What you doing up in here? What you doing? And I mean, we strut by the pork shop. We strut, you know, we, we get that, that look. I hope I see somebody I know because I sure do look pretty right now. What am I saying? If you've got a sin consciousness and an old dirty worm, filthy worm consciousness, 
You're going to walk out in the world like that. Oh, I'm just, just beat down, just an old sinner saved by grace. Just don't deserve nothing but a cabin in the corner of glory. If I get that, maybe I'll make it in. If Jesus comes on one of my good days, when you are the righteousness of God in Christ, you know it ain't about you. You walk with your head up. And somebody says, why do you have a hope? Why do I have a hope? I know what you went through, Pastor. I know what you went through back there several years ago. And you're still preaching. You hadn't thrown, you hadn't thrown the towel in. Well, these people said they weren't going to come and listen to you because of da-da-da-da-da. Why, why in the world you still... Because of a great exchange. It ain't me. It ain't about me. It's all about Jesus. See, you just, you, just, you just know the person I was. But it don't matter what you think about what I was. God's looking at me as I is. Amen? And see, you walk in life. With your, listen, they that, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. He'll pick up that old head bowed down. He's the glory and the lifter of my head. And then we can say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And said, I was sad when they said unto me, let us go into the house. It makes a difference. Because see, what did, the, what did the children of Israel do when they went in to spy out the land? They went in and they came back. Ten of them came back and said, we can't do that. Uh-uh. There's giants out there. We cannot take that land. Those giants are so big, we can't attack them. We can't, we can't attack them. Those giants are too big. There's giants. Yeah, there's milk and honey and there's big old grapes. You wouldn't believe how big they are. But you know, ain't no way. There's giants in that land. We, we can't get to them. giants are too big. Joshua and Caleb came back with the, and saw the same thing that the other ten did. And they didn't say, those giants are so big we can't hit them. They said, they're so big we can't miss them. Now, there's a key to what the, the ten doubtful negative spies said. And I'm gonna, that's going to be the bow on this message today. Our lamb's walking on hind legs back up here. All right? All right, listen. What did they say? When they came back, they said, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't take that land God's given to us. Because you know what? We were grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were grasshoppers in their sight. What's that say? How you see yourself is how others are going to see you. You all beat down, oh, unrighteous, worthy, sinful worm, just deserving of death. You got walk on me on the back of your rear end, and you wonder why people wipe their feet on you. You got doormat, slap me, punch me, kick me, bite me. I deserve it. I'm just, oh, what happened to me in my life has been terrible. I just don't deserve to even be here. And you wonder why people see you like that. Because you've got a grasshopper complex. Some of us are still wearing this coat. Even though it's been put on Jesus. And God's given us this garment. And it's just almost too good to be true. But I'm telling you this morning, if you don't ever get anything else this preacher ever says, I'm going to tell you, don't forget this. I'm not saying that God is pleased with sin and disobedience. Y'all know better than that. But I'm saying when it comes to your acceptance of your name being written in the Lamb's Book of Life and your eternal destiny 
It is not based upon what you were or how you see yourself or how anybody else sees you. It's not based upon any work you've done. It's based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. And God does not examine you. He doesn't examine you. He doesn't examine you to see if you are accepted. He examined the Lamb, your sacrifice, Jesus. And when He did, there was a great exchange. He became sin that I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. Can we stand and give Jesus a hand?